You're listening to Jimmy Pizarro from City Lights Church. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So 1 John chapter 3 tells us that our goal and our desire should be to be like our Father in heaven. Um, It says that that happens by us realizing the love that the Father has for us. So if you do want to fill in point one, I'll give this one to you. The rest you'll have to listen for. But the Father's love, when it's received, it always leads to a happy ending. And what I mean by that is that Scripture also tells us that God works all things together for good for those who love him. So our circumstances in our life are ultimately seen and designed by God the Father. He created us. He knows what's going to happen before we know. And he's also willing to do a whole bunch of other things that we're going to get to in this sermon. And um, how he relates to us as a father is also demonstrated in the life of Jesus, how Jesus sees God as a father, how Jesus prays and seeks God. Um, So in home groups this coming week, one of the things I want you guys to think about as you attend is uh, what in Scripture, um, what times in Scripture was Jesus interacting with the Father and how did he view him? And hopefully in this message you'll you'll see and you'll understand the importance of, of what it is to really know the truth about God as a Father. One of the things I got to do while I was uh, a minister in in New Jersey, I worked with youth, is once a month we got to go to a state-run youth detention center. And we used to get to preach the gospel. And how that was enacted, how we did that, was basically a half hour, the first half hour, is we would eat pizza. That's what you do with youth. Any youth function that doesn't have pizza isn't a youth function. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we ate pizza for the first half hour. The second half hour we played volleyball with the kids. And throughout that time, you just talk to the kids, you get to know them, you get to know their story, why they're in the detention center, and you hear a whole bunch of stories. And then the next half hour is either you, you play some songs, you do some artistic demonstration to like show them Jesus, and then the last half hour is preaching and prayer. And uh, the one thing I remember, every month we would go to that shelter and I'd meet a whole bunch of different kids. And I'm not going to say every kid there, but the majority of them who were in that detention center had a similar story. And it was all that somewhere along the way, either their parents were abusive and they didn't want them anymore. That's why they were in there because not all the kids in there were were there because they were in trouble. Either their parents were absent or they were in prison. And so they just kind of had continued on this pattern and lifestyle like them. Or it was just that, just truth be told, they weren't that great of parents. And um, all of them, when we would talk to them about God... They all had this disconnect, be, being able to see God as a father, because they would look at how they were raised by their parents, and it would, it would be hard for them. So I think, and I, I feel, I think from my own experience, we tend to project onto God as a father what we have uh, received, good or bad, from our own parents. So sometimes it's really helpful, and sometimes it's harmful. And uh, I want you to be able to, I guess, process through and think about which is which. Um, one of the ways I'm going to try and do that for you is by telling some of my own stories, and uh, I wish I brought my phone up here to see how much time I've already spent preaching. 
Nothing? We're good? All right, just keep going. Anyway, um, anyway, I have a couple stories. My dad raised me. He's not a Christian yet. Uh, he uh, did not encourage us to go to church, but I'm able to honestly look, look through my life with my father and, and different interactions and really say that God did use him and show me um, good aspects of God the Father. So I'm going to tell you a story, okay? This is when I was either four or six years old. I can't exactly remember. Um, it's one of the two. And uh, we used to drive from New Jersey to Florida because my uncle lived in Florida because my mom was terrified of flying. So uh, we, we drove. And halfway along the way, we would stop at a hotel, and that's where we would spend the night, and then the second half we would do the next day. Um, so that, that one day, we stopped in North Carolina at a hotel, and uh, we had breakfast, I guess. And in the hotel was an arcade. So we went, me and my brother, he's six years older than me, we went to the arcade to play some video games. Well, arcade games. That's the same thing. Anyway, uh, the arcade games, and so he would put in a quarter and play, and then I wasn't really old enough to play, so I don't know if any of you guys remember this far back, but uh, we were playing, and so he had the one joystick and was putting the buttons, and I was on the other one, moving the joystick, putting the buttons, but in order to save money, we just didn't let me play. We just made me think I played, right? So whenever he would die, I would die, or, you know, lose in Pac-Man, I would lose. And so our reaction, my reaction was dictated based on his reaction, right? So I don't, I wasn't playing. They didn't give me any quarters. I just thought I was playing. So we, eventually our parents call us. They're like, all right, we're leaving. We're going. We have to get to Florida. So we get in the car, and I don't know whether it was breakfast or the excitement of not really playing video games, but I think I fell asleep like really early on in the car ride. And I woke up about an hour later, ready to take on the world again, okay? But the one thing I wasn't ready for was I I go, I'm looking around and I'm like, mommy, where is Bosco, my teddy bear? And so what happened was I, I couldn't find Bosco. And so we're looking around the van and I'm like, all right, I cannot take on the world without Bosco today. And so we have to tell my dad hey, we can't find Bosco. And then it dawned on me that I had left Bosco in the hotel, which was like, at this point, an hour and a half backtrack towards North Carolina when we were supposed to be going to Florida. And so I don't really remember the details of how much I complained or how much I cried and whined about my bear. But I do know when I talked to my dad this past week that he was like, there is no way we can leave Bosco behind because I will not hear the end of this for the next who knows how long. So my dad, in his kindness, decided to turn the car back around. We got Bosco. He was laying face down on the arcade floor right where I had left him. I'm telling you, I was so excited playing those video games, I forgot about my favorite teddy bear. Um, but we went back for him. And that was inconvenient, not just for my dad, but for my whole family. It wasn't that inconvenient for me because I really wanted Bosco. And... Uh, he was a gift for my first Christmas from, from one of my great aunts. So, like, that was, like, the first gift I ever had. And uh, so my dad went back and got him, and it was a good thing. And so Bosco was with me all throughout my childhood. I used to practice my wrestling moves on him, jump off the top of the couch and give him an elbow drop. Eventually his head got ripped off, and we had to sew it back on. And uh, then he actually stayed in my bed throughout my teenage years, like, sitting at the end. And uh, then he came with me to college, and for a long time, he lived with me, or, well, yeah, he lived with me in college, but then as I moved to Scranton, he uh, resided in a plastic tote in my brother's basement. 
And so I was with my brother this past weekend, and uh, I remembered that. And so he, he just couldn't resist not showing up today. So just to give you an idea, this is what Bosco looks like um, after 26 years. Give a little wave. Woo! Yeah, so that's what we went back for, just to give you an idea. And so all that to say is that um, my dad heard me when I asked him to go back for Bosco. Okay, and that seems like a little thing, and it was three hours of our time that we'll never get back. But what I want us to realize is that with God, one, he always hears his children, and two, he's never inconvenienced by your request. Okay? So First John chapter 5, it's, it's two chapters away if you're still in your Bibles. It says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Luke chapter 11 verse 10 says this, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? God loves to give good gifts, all right? James chapter 1 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to, the, due to change. So two of those points on there are, one, God always hears his children, and he likes to give good gifts to his children. So sometimes when we think of gifts, we think, all right, these are, these are huge things. Like These are like things that are really big. But sometimes gifts are really small. Like sometimes gifts are things that would completely inconvenience us. But if we ask him, sometimes he just might show up enough and he might, he might do it. Like this could be like a car problem. If we trusted God with it, if we were bold enough to ask, maybe he would help fix it. What I, what I think part of being a child is too is that they ask ridiculous things, right? So they're about, like, you know, you put a child to bed at like whatever time their bedtime is and they might be bold enough to ask for ice cream right before they go to bed right? There might be no chance that they're going to get it, but for whatever reason, they have some type of hope inside their heart that they're going to get that ice cream. Just this morning, I'm sitting in this office preparing my sermon, right? And Faith and Jesse are in the office. I I got permission to tell the story, I think. And so Faith is like doing her thing, you know, being active. She loves me. And so she's bothering, you know, not bothering, but talking to me about her coloring. And then she realizes that she wants some chocolate. So she comes up to Jesse and is like, can I have some peanut butter M&Ms or peanut M&Ms? And she's like, I want a purple and yellow one. And Jesse's like, no, no, you can't have chocolate. And then she keeps asking, right? And eventually she gets the purple and yellow M&Ms. And I'm like, this just proves, like, what, is, what I was writing at that time. That little children aren't afraid to ask, Okay, and they actually are bold enough to believe that their parents will give them what they ask. Whether or not there's any chance of them getting it, they'll ask. The, the lesson we should take from that is that we can do that with God. He's much more generous. He is much more available to him than any of us do. And I'm not saying that we're going to get everything we ask for. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if we just more frequently asked him, communicated with him, we just might get it. Right, because he always hears this. Jesus, when he's he's praying or he's speaking Lazarus to be raised from the dead, he says to the people around him, God, I'm saying this for their benefit because I know that you always hear me. 
right? So God always hears us. That's a, that's a good thing. The, the one thing I do want to say about that, um, because God honors our asking, he honors our persistent. There's a parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 that uh, just justifies this whole idea of if we're persistent in asking, God might give it to us. There is another side to it, and I don't want to spend much time talking about it, but sometimes we'll ask for things and we'll be persistent about it, and God has absolutely no interest in giving it to us. So if you look at 1 John chapter 5, it says, it gives you this one little caveat. It says that if we ask anything according to his will, okay? So that's, that's one of the big keys is that it has to be according to his will. But the other thing about God is that you can ask him for something and you can be really persistent and uh, he still might give it to you even if it's not according to his will just to prove to you that it wasn't meant for you. Okay, I've lived through this. I've experienced this. I remember being persistent for asking for something. Eight months just persisting, asking, persistent, asking. I got what I wanted, okay? It was awful, all right? It was, it was awful. I'm not going to go into details. It was terrible. So, and I got it, and I had it, right? So then, like, seven months later, I pray, I pray this. Like, one time, I say, God, would you take this away? And I will tell you, in an instant, it felt like it was gone. You know what the problem was? I didn't want to let go of it. So then it was an, another whole fiasco. So the, the thing is, is that God will give you sometimes things to teach you a lesson. That this is not what I, my best for you. If you trusted me, then you'd get what I want to give you. But if you ask amiss for yourself, then you might find out why he didn't want to give it to you in the first place. Anyway, that's the first third of the sermon. Um, you tracking? We all together? Good, because I have another story. This one is still good, um, but not as good. Can I say that? The last one's really good, though. So, all right, so I'm in third grade. And uh, at this point, I'm just living solely with my dad. My parents had gotten divorced. And uh, I'm going to school, elementary school. And uh, we had this thing called Grandparents' Day. Does anyone else ever been a part of a Grandparents' Day? Basically, it's you invite your grandparents to school. They hang out with you for half the day. And you show them your art or whatever it is that you do in school, and they act like it's really great, and uh, then you get, you know, you give a hug and a kiss, and you say goodbye, okay? And then the second half of the day, you just do your schoolwork. So on this particular grandparents' day in third grade, I had to share my grandma, okay? I had to share my grandma with another kid whose grandparents didn't make it. So we did that, and we had a good time, and my grandma went home. And me and this kid that I shared her with, we sat across from each other. And, uh, Once it came time for, I don't know what class it was. It was either math, science, or history. I'm going to say it's science because I didn't like science, okay? So in science class, we're sitting there, and um, it's just about to start, and we get our books out, and I put my pens and pencils in my pen holder because I'm a great student, and uh, the kid across from me takes my pens and pencils and starts throwing them on the floor. And I'm like, "What? what are we? What are we, in third grade? Yeah, we are. So, so... The, she, I put them back, and he does it again, and I'm like, this is annoying. So I say to him, this is where I went wrong. I said to him, if you do that one more time, I'm going to throw this book at your face. And so this is like one of those big textbooks that you had to get covered with the brown paper bag or a book sock if you were that type of person. But we were poor, so we just used ShopRite bags. And uh, we weren't poor. 
but who cares? We still use shopper bags. Anyway, so I made that, that, I don't know if it was a threat or a promise. Anyway, I go and get my pens, put them back up again, and he takes one, and he throws it, and it just narrowly misses my head. At least that's what I thought in my mind. That's how I saw it. So I took the book and went, and it hit him right in the eye, okay? And so then he goes down on the ground and starts crying. And immediately I was like, I did not expect that to happen because that's making a scene and this is going to be bad. So he gets sent down to the nurse. I get yelled at and taken out of the classroom and I start crying because I'm sensitive. And so they start telling me, they sent me to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor tells me he might be blind. I'm like, there, what? It was, it, was, it was the furthest thing from the truth. I think they were just trying to terrify me. I was like, our family's going to lose everything because I made this kid blind with a book. Anyway, he wasn't blind. He wasn't even close to blind, okay? Um, anyway, that's what she told me. They sent me home. My sentence was two weeks lunch detention, so I couldn't go out and play with my friends during lunch. And so I, I get home, and actually my grandma had to pick me up from school. And it was like, you know, the first half of this day, we had a really good thing going. It's grandparents' day. Second half of this day, you know, now it's like I'm, I'm the bad guy. I'm the kid that threw a book at somebody's face. So, you know, I did my time. I did my two weeks, and I thought the worst of it was over. But it wasn't because somewhere along the line, like two weeks later, I'm at a baseball game, okay? And the baseball park was right down the street from our house, and we were like the last game of the night. And so I don't remember whether we won or lose who cares? We leave the game. We're going to the parking lot. And out of the shadows comes the kid that I threw the book at and his dad. And they come out of the shadows. And he comes up to my dad and he's like, hey, heard your kid's been giving my kids some problems. I said, we have them fight right here in this baseball park. I'm like, I'm not joking. This is what happened. Okay? And uh, my dad is like, completely caught off guard. I am terrified. The, uh, the other kid is hiding behind his dad. So we're both terrified, obviously. And so my dad's like, wait, is this real? Like, this is not real. He's like, no, that's not how we like solve conflict. We're not going to do that. He's like, okay, you chicken. Um, how about me and you fight? And my dad is not a fighter. Okay. The only fight he says he ever gotten, he was in college and a guy pushed him and tried to come at him, and he got his foot stuck under a couch and fell back, and the kid broke his, broke his ankle. So my dad had this reputation of, like, don't fight that guy because of a complete accident. Like, he didn't, he didn't even touch the guy. Anyway, my dad's not a fighter, and my dad was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. We're going to go home now, and you can stay at the park lurking in your shadows, but we're going to leave. And so I remember even as a third grader thinking, yeah, I'm really glad we didn't do this whole fighting thing because that would be terrifying. So I was thankful. I didn't think my dad was a chicken at all. I was like, thank God we're not, like, doing this in the middle of, at nighttime, at a baseball field. Like, thank you. Like, I remember thinking that as a child. So um, all my dad remembers about that story is that a guy, oh, wait, wait, I didn't get the best part. Sorry, sorry, I'm so excited. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're walking away, and the guy says to my dad, he's like, okay, bring your bullets next time. Okay, and I've never heard that expression before that or since then. I don't know if you guys use that expression in Pennsylvania, anywhere else, but I do know this much that bullets only go in one thing, okay? So I don't know, it was a threat. So we called the school and was like, hey, this happened, 
and they didn't believe us. The guy was a, a, a state prison guard, so, you know, I guess he was familiar with bullets, and we weren't. Uh, I still have never shot a gun. Um, anyway, so it was scary, and uh, they didn't believe us. You know, eventually the whole thing died down, although my dad still to this day only remembers that. Like, I had since had to do all of the grades with that family and wrestled with the family, and we were like, fine, but my dad always remembered. He's like, bring your bullets next time. And uh, so all this to say that all right, you have picture of two fathers here, and I'm not going to say which one's right or wrong, because I think there may be a parenting strategy that says you should do this like intimidation thing at a ballpark. I don't know. But I do know this, that I think the intention behind both of our fathers in that situation was that they wanted to somehow protect their children, right? And maybe one was better than the other, but I would say definitely one's better than the other. But in the situation is that that guy wanted to stand up for his son, and my dad clearly didn't want me or him to get beat up, so my dad wanted to protect us too. And so the thing was, is if I was at that ballpark, just me, alone, that would have been like probably the most terrifying experience of my life. And so the good thing about God, right, is that we should never fear anything because God's God. And uh, there's a promise in Scripture that says in John 14, 18, that he will never leave you alone as an orphan. So, like, there's never going to be a situation in your life where God's just like, I'm gone. I no longer have any say in this matter. I'm leaving this completely on, on your own. As a child of God, once you put your faith in Christ, he doesn't leave you alone. Like, it's not just like, I'm abandoning you forever. He really does want to be there for you. And, and furthermore, through Jesus Christ, he's made a way out for us. Like, he's made a way out of our complete devastation and destroying our own lives by providing for us in Christ. And I was going to relay a story of how this relates, not just in our terrifying situations, but in our fun situations. So God's not just there when we, like, really need his help. He is there for that. But he also wants to be a part of, like, when we really are are celebrating or are joyous and playful. I was going to tell a story about how when I was 16, I was wrestling with my dad, and uh, we were in the living room. He escaped from me because at that point I I was faster than him. And then so I chased him. And uh, he, we had hardwood floors, and I was wearing socks. And he paused, put his foot up. And uh, I'm telling it fast because I wasn't going to tell it, but now I'm just telling it. Um, he puts his foot up, and I couldn't stop. So he hit me right under the jaw, and I hit the, the ground really hard. But I had the wherewithal in that moment because it didn't really hurt. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but I wrestle, and, like, the harder you hit the mat, sometimes the impact will absorb, and you don't feel anything. So it was kind of like this. I mean, it still hurt a little bit. Um, but I realized, it was like, if I milk this, he'll think, like, he knocked me unconscious. So I just laid there. <laughs> and, like, his reaction was priceless. He was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I was, like, I was an accident. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I could only hold my unconsciousness for so long. And then I smirked. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I thought, I thought you were dead. <laughs> and uh, it was good. But I realized, I was like, my father was ready to do something in that moment. He was, like, immediately there. Like, he, he immediately realized the situation. And with God, like, he's 
ever-present. He's present when we're, like, having a really good time and, like, we're worshiping or we're having fun at iHeart Scranton, like, or we just celebrated, like, a, a new job or we celebrated a new, a new birth, go Linda and Jonathan, um, or, or we just celebrated, like, all these other things, right? And we're excited. He's there. And then if there's an emergency situation that comes out of the blue, he's there. He's, like, the first one on the scene. Um, he doesn't leave us alone. Let's keep going. You still tracking with me? All right, good. So this last portion, so we're on point number six, if you're following. This last thing I want to say about God as a father is probably the most challenging thing, I think, for us in Western society. I am not really that familiar with Eastern society. Even though I've been to Russia and India, I still don't get it. Um, because I was in, like, westernized portions. I was... Anyway, I don't... What? I don't need an explanation. Anyway, this part, portion, was probably, for me, over the past two years, the most challenging to understand. So, as I said, when I was preparing this... I prepared this two years ago, God asked me, hey, do you still believe these things are true about me today, the same as you did two years ago? And so, for me, the past two years have really been dictated by what we're about to get into. Um, first, I want to share a story. So, the summer of my freshman year of high school, right? This is classic. Uh, It was between freshman and sophomore year, and my brother's six years older than me, so he came back from college. And my dad wanted to go on a cross-country road trip to California. So they bought a video camera. They were going to film the whole thing. They wanted me to come along. My excuse was, I don't like long car rides. I get car sick, and I want to make the soccer team this year. So if I go with you guys, I'm going to get out of shape because I'll be in a car for a month. Side note, I still didn't make the soccer team. Didn't matter. (laughs) I also did not go with them on the cross-country trip. But they documented it all, okay? They videotaped everything. And so I eventually met them. I I flew out for like eight days when they got to California, spent time with them, videotaped a lot because I was a better videographer, and I was more entertaining than both of them. So we filmed that, and uh, eventually they came back. But the other thing about me that is still carried with me, is that as a freshman in uh, high school, what do you do in your, with your summer? You can't drive. Uh, me and my friends, we backyard wrestled, okay? So when they came back with a video camera, I was like, this is great. We can start filming our backyard wrestling on a better camera. And uh, so that's what we did. I called up my friend, and a week later, we are setting up two halves of couches a canoe, um, the cushions, and then a layer of their mattresses, and then uh, blankets, all outside. We did this outside. So we moved everything out of their house to set this up. And we set up the uh, camera on a trash can, and we wrestled. And so we did what any freshman in high school would do after that. We got iced tea and snacks and then immediately watched it. We were just like, we have to watch this. We were convinced that the local news was eventually going to pick this up. And it was awesome. And by awesome, I mean it was terrible. Okay, it was, I would not show anybody this unless they paid me for it. I'd consider it. Um, there'll be copies in the back with the books next week. Uh, anyway, it, it, it was, the, the worst part is that it, not only was it terrible, it was 45 minutes long. One, like, little match sequence was 45 minutes long. Okay, so we watched it, and since we were ignorant freshmen, we were like, that was awesome. This is great. And so it was all going well, 
until the camera cuts out and I see this on TV, a panoramic of the Grand Canyon and my brother's voice in the background. And like, then I realized, oh no. Like everything within my stomach was just like, this can't be real. And I started hoping like only a child could. And I was like, please tell me this is just a big mistake. And I did not just tape over my dad and brother's cross-country trip with backyard wrestling. So when the reality had finally sank in, I had decided I was never going to tell my father. Nope, wasn't going to happen. But it turned out me and my dad aren't too different. So as we were excited high school students to watch our backyard wrestling, since they had come back, all I had heard for like a month was like, we need to watch the three hours of footage from our cross-country trip, even though we lived it. He's like, we have to sit down, have a family night, and just watch it. And so my brother didn't want to do it. I now definitely did not want to do it. And, uh, but my brother had to go back to school, and he goes back to school a little earlier than high school starts. So I kept making excuses like, I need to go run for runs for soccer, I need to go walk around the neighborhood for fun and just made a lot of plans, like called everybody I knew and was like, look, I just need to not be around. And so what happened was eventually my dad, you know, decided this was the day we were watching it. And my brother, you know, I had, I I was like, I can't tell my dad. So I'll just tell my brother. I was like, Rob, you have to tell daddy that I taped over the cross country trip. I was like, you got to do it. I'm not doing it. And then based on its reaction, We'll decide whether I need to, like, run away for a while to grandma's house or if I need to, like, do something else. So my brother, my dad was outside, thankfully, or maybe not, thankfully. And uh, so he tells him, and all I hear is, what, Jim? And I'm like, oh, no. So I ran into my room and locked the door. And uh, so he comes after me. And I hear him barreling up the steps. He's like, I cannot believe you did this. And I'm like, oh, boy. And so I just, I immediately went into defense mode. I was like, look, it was a complete accident. It was a mistake. I did not do this intentionally. I'm sorry. I know you're mad. And then he's banging on my door. He's like, let me in. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, I am not, I was not born yesterday. I am not letting you in. He's like, I will break down the store. I was like, I backyard wrestle. I will jump out this window. I was like, there, I will escape. And so, basically, he did settle down, and he was, he was like, I'm more mad than when you threw a car, or not, not a car, threw a car, threw a rock through my car window when you were seven. So, like, to my dad, who's not a Christian, this was, like, the worst thing I've ever done, okay? Now, there's plenty of things that I think God the Father would look at and be like, you've done, like far exceedingly worse. But to my dad, this accident was the worst thing I'd ever done. So he was really mad. But the funniest part of the story to me is that there was absolutely no consequences for this. So like there was no, you can't use the video camera anymore. There was no, you're grounded. There was no nothing, okay? The, the punishment basically was I locked myself in my room for two hours and played with G.I. Joes, okay? That was my punishment because he, he just... The thing about my dad is that he didn't know how to discipline. Okay, so even though I had the whole I was terrified of my dad thing down, which point number six is that it's okay to fear your father, 
And I am so glad that Jesse this morning during worship cleared up like what proper fear is, like having that reverence, but also having that little bit of terror towards God. Just because I don't have to try and fumble through that explanation. But, but I do want to read a scripture that encourage us, encourages us in our fear of the Lord. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God doesn't judge impartially, right? So he knows if we do something by accident or if we do something that's just like overtly, uh, sinful or to hurt somebody else or to hurt him. Like God knows the difference. And the truth is he's purchased us by his blood from those things. But he just doesn't want us to fear him. He also uses discipline. And I think this is hard for us to understand. It's, it's hard for me to understand because I can honestly say like I cannot remember a time when I was disciplined by my parents. Okay, and that's not a good thing. It actually says several times in Proverbs that a father does, who does not discipline his son despises his child. Like, not disciplining is actually harmful. And uh, I want to read you one more passage from Hebrews. And so I do want to say this, though. Um, because we live in a culture where abuse is too prevalent, sometimes when we think of the word discipline, we think of, like, physical harm. And that's, like... I mean, with God, I can't really say I've ever been, like, physically harmed. Maybe I've made myself sick because of my own sin. But um, he doesn't, like, physically, like, it's, he can discipline us in so many ways. Like, if we have the outlook that it's only, like, abusive or hurtful in the sense of, like, physical pain, then we're missing the point. Because discipline, as we're about to read, is supposed to be, in a sense, painful, but the end goal of discipline is, is for our good. It's for our best. First Peter talks about holiness. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, this is the last scripture we're going to read today. It's a long one, so if you want to open up, you can. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Did you hear that? I'm sorry. You're fine. Okay, sorry. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit 
of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So for me, like I know my dad loves me regardless of his inability to be able to discipline me. And at this point, I'm 26. I, I live on my own. There's not, not a whole lot he can do anymore. But the reason why he didn't discipline is because his father uh, was an alcoholic and would beat him if he used his left hand. Okay, not something you should beat somebody for. Uh, but something as little as that would my father would get beaten for. So for him, the idea of discipline, he just wasn't able to do it. He would rather err on the side of just, I'll let you do whatever you want, whenever you want, and never punish you for it, rather than risk um, disciplining his child. So I can honestly say that's not a good thing because I I didn't learn self-control. I I probably still haven't learned self-control to a certain extent, if you've ever seen me on the softball field. Um, But my point is, is that And I'm not making excuses because God's good and God disciplines us. So I told you that story back then about like an hour ago by now about how like I've asked for things and and it's been awful. And I think sometimes God disciplines us by one, not giving us what we ask for, teaching us to be patient and waiting for him. And God sometimes disciplines us by giving us what we ask for. And then we realize, oh gosh, why did I ask for that? And so we become more conscious of how God treats us as his children. So we know that he, he, one, wants to give good things, that he always hears us. We know that he never leaves us, which is a, a great promise. Like, we're never alone in this world. We know that it's okay to fear him. And we also know that his discipline, and if we don't know, it's important for us to learn that his discipline is for our good. So if the worship team could please come forward, we're just going to spend a little bit of time in worship, but I also want to make available to you guys a couple things. Um, while we're in worship, I do want you to like reflect on those points. And uh, if there's any one of those points that you have a hard time, like you read and you're like, man, I don't really know if I believe that about my father in heaven. Like, I don't know if I, I get that. Um, I want you to be honest with yourself, pray through that, and if, if you need be, come up and get prayer for that specific thing. But the other thing I want us to start cultivating in our lives and as a church is that we would learn to like ask God for, for things. Like we would ask God and, and trust one another with asking God for like really little things as well as the really big things. Like we wouldn't separate the two as if like God doesn't care about every aspect of our life because he does. And even in his discipline, and this is important for us to eventually start recognizing if we haven't already, is that like it's meant for our good. Like, he wants to be with us. He wants to be near us. He wants us to fear him. But in the times when he is, like, exacting his hand, whatever it looks like, um, it's important for us to identify that the end goal of that is our peace and our righteousness, and ultimately it's because he loves us. That discipline can't be this bad thing. It can't be something we look at and are like, well, it's completely worthless, um, we need to look at it as like, all right, it's painful, but I'm enduring this pain because I'm believing his word when he says that it's for my good. So as we worship, I just want you to, again, go over those points, pray to yourself, but also if, if you feel pressed to get prayer, if you're convinced that these things are true, but you're still having trouble owning them for yourself or seeing God the Father in that way, we do want to pray for you today because 
the, the important thing is once we do understand God as a father, it becomes easy to live as a, as a child of God. It becomes easy to trust him with every aspect of our life.